Hello, and welcome to So I've Been Told. I'm Adam Kramer, the host of this podcast, and this is the first episode, so I just wanted to give a little introduction, and uh, I've been playing in bands and booking shows for the last 10 years in central Pennsylvania and Rochester, New York, and I've met a lot of really cool, interesting people along the way, so what I'm planning on doing is having conversations with some of those people and then sharing with you all because I've got friends who do some really cool stuff. I've gotten really into podcasts over the last year, so I decided that, hey, I should start one. Um, I'm a big fan of Damien Abraham's Turned Out a Punk podcast, uh, Billy Powers' Urban Achiever podcast, and Mark Marin, and a lot of I'm just really into the one-on-one conversation type podcast, as well as others, but I think you can get a lot of depth and information in a one-on-one setting, that it's hard to, and it's hard to get there in a uh, multiple-person interview. So that's mostly, I mean, I'm not saying I probably, I'm not saying I'll never do a multi-person interview, but uh, most of these interviews are probably going to be one-on-one. I'm really interested in documenting um, stories and things that happened within the DIY music community. So that's what I'm going to try to do. So my first interviewee is my friend Dan Kushner. He's a really interesting guy. He's an artist. He's a writer. Um, and I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. Uh, shout out to Podcast of Pennsylvania for Letting me be a part of this, despite the fact that I don't live in Pennsylvania anymore. Uh, and also shout-outs to my good friends at the uh, Loaded Words podcast. Um, if you're already on the Podcast of Pennsylvania feed, uh, check their stuff out, because they're, they're my friends, and they're awesome. All right, so without further ado, without further ado enjoy... This interview with Dan Kushner, and at the end, he's going to play a song uh, from his project, Songs for Left Hand. So enjoy. Thanks, guys. We are recording. So I'm sitting here with my friend Dan Kushner. 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 You said it right the first time. I I, I, I figured so. You've you've never you've always said it right. Yeah. <laughs> but I like how you. I, I think you it's, tried to. You wanted to cover all the bases. Doesn't doesn't weird. Alex say it weird? He always says it weird. Yeah. Yes. And, and it, you know, I think at first it bothered me a little bit, but, like, after a while it's sort of endearing in its own way. Yeah. You know, like, because, I mean, it's all, it's it's still, it's the same name, you know? <laughs> like, pronunciations are kind of very personal and subjective. Yeah. When you think about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's all good. Yeah. So, yes. Kushner so I am here with Mr. Kushner, and he is a writer and a musician. And he kind of does a whole lot of things. Um, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, uh, I am a I am a writer. Uh, that means a few different things. So I guess if we were to break it down, uh, so I'm an arts journalist. Uh, I write a lot about music primarily, uh, but also about theater and, and visual art. Um, I'm also a poet. And uh, opera librettist. Uh, basically, what that means is simply, I write the words for 
operas, in particular, uh, a, a, a specific opera that I've been working on for for a few years now. Um, but yeah, it's basically the screen the screenwriter for opera is sort of a. I feel like that's a fairly easy way to explain it. So so there's that, and I also play music from time to time, uh, in bands or solo, and uh, I feel like that covers the sort of range of who I am in terms of the work I do. Yeah, that's that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot more than what most people do. <laughs> it depends as on far the, as, depends as far as creative the, things. Sure, but I mean it depends on the it depends on the on the time of year these days too. Um and and just yeah, there are a lot of factors, you know, like um I think that the like music in general is a fairly is such a sort of fluid and uh, uh, temporary thing in in a lot of ways, probably more so than we, than those of us who spend a lot of time on it want to would want to acknowledge. You know, like so things are always changing. And uh, I played in a few bands since moving back to the Rochester area a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, things have changed since I started doing that, but. Um, Every experience has been good and has had its value, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing less. I'm focusing. I've been focusing more on writing these days, um, so there's a little bit less of the of the music making. Um, I'm I'll, I'm sure it'll it sort of comes and goes, you know. Yeah, I'm sure I'll go back to it at some point. Yeah, soon. so I'm st- I'm starting this podcast with the only person I know who is. Had a hand in writing an app, an opera, so we are going super classy, just right out the gate. <laughs> Actually, Adam and I—you can't see us, but we're we're sipping Cabernet and Chardonnay. We have a whole cheese plate in front of us. There's there's, there's candles. We 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 went we went all out for this. I actually, I actually really wish that were true because a glass of wine and some cheese would be spectacular. So. You'll be you'll be known as the podcast with wine and cheese. It's actually it's actually going to be a wine and cheese podcast. We're actually just going to taste wine and cheese and talk. Right. About it's it. so the music is just, the music angle is just a facade. Yeah. It's just an excuse to get together and eat wine and cheese. Hey, that's I, I really do me. like the idea. I may I may uh, sh- make that not? happen in the future. I am a sucker for for soft cheese, particularly brie. Like I have an, I have a problem. <laughs> like, like if it's possible to be addicted to to brie, then that then then I am, for sure. And right. I will I will go on the record today, admitting that I'm all I, of the interviews. I'm asking help. I'm asking for help. I need. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. I need an intervention. Uh, yeah, I go on brie sprees as I call them quite a, quite a bit. Way way more often than I should ever admit. A shopping brie. Yeah, you just just like going away. It's like a shopping like, spree, but. Shopping Brie, yeah, totally. You know, like, you know, the wedge calls to you and you just grab it and it's so easy. You know, it's like, it's very effortless. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I know, like, a lot of times, I feel like this whole, like, relationship that people who do podcasts have with the art of podcasting is interesting because I feel like sometimes they, they talk about, like, I don't want to bring myself into your story. Um, and it's kind of this weird, like, we're all kind of, we're doing this because there's a little bit of narcissism. And so I figure I'll just embrace it. And as a part of what I want to do is I want to talk about like, um, how we know each other, where we first encounter each other. And I think we have an interesting story too, 
um, as far as our first like interactions with each other. Oh, interesting. Um, so I you figured may... I might as well just embrace that instead of le- and and purposely insert myself into the story of the the person I'm talking to. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I I think I think that that makes the most sense. I, I don't I don't see doing it any other way. I for me like as somebody who interviews people a lot and really it's the most rewarding part about being a music journalist is interviewing artists. Is it is I find it's sort of. It's it's nearly impossible. It can be difficult to sort of fight the urge to want to sort of be a part of the artist's story. I, I, I often find myself the artist that I admire most after I've interviewed them. I like sort of secretly want to like collaborate with them. And mm-hmm. that's, and honestly, I mean, that, that's actually happened to me more than once where like I, I write about people I know and then subsequently after writing about them, I end up playing music with them. So, um, you know, never never at the same time because that would be unethical or at least murky. But, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, back to what you were saying. Yes, um, I feel like this, this story, this isn't just about me, this is about us. Exactly. This is the story of a friendship, really. <laughs> a love affair, if you will. Um, so, you may remember, I feel like you may remember how we met more vividly than I might. So you remember a specific okay. occasion that well, you and I first I don't talked. I don't remember when we first met in person, but I remember our first interactions were on MySpace, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. Which, okay, okay, okay. Which is a funny story. I'm up to story. speed now. I'm up to speed uh, now. Yes. That's so, right. So That's a little so back, weird. yeah. So a little bit of background so information. Weird. Is uh, myself and Stephen Haramis, who some of you listening, I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening to my podcast, you know who I am and know at least one of the bands I was involved in. Anyway, Steve was the drummer in, in uh, what was the name of Endangered band? Youth. Endangered Youth. But long before that, I was still living in Pennsylvania. He was here in, in Rochester, and we wanted to start a record label, had no idea how to do so. So we just did what everybody did in 2006, 2007, and made a MySpace page. And that was pretty much it. And uh, it was called Something Better Records. You can probably still find it there. I don't... (laughs) There's not really much there. But uh, Dan Kushner was a part of our label. I was. I was one of the artists on the... Who... who, uh, I signed the contract. (laughs) It was pretty lengthy, too. There was a lot of legalese to get through... (laughs) I had to I had to consult with my lawyer. It was it was really dicey, but we worked through it. And yeah, um, Steve, you know, like Steve at the time was branching out musically and going beyond the sort of hardcore rock stuff that he was perhaps more familiar with, and and really took a risk and, and started uh, performing instrumental piano music, mm-hmm. just sort of like as I understand it, kind of out of nowhere. And, you know, I didn't really know Steve. I knew that he was in a band called The Where. Steve and I met at Roberts Wesleyan College here in the Rochester area. And and Steve was in a sort of this, this trio called The Where, which was like... <laughs> n- n- they're just I just knew them as this noisy band who played the dorms. They'd, like, play <laughs> literally, like, in the, in the, like, common area. Just, like, play shows. Like, and, uh, and yeah, and so, but Steve started doing the piano thing, and I, at the time, was, was also writing songs on, on piano, 
And um, so it kind of seemed like a natural fit. We'd play, I know we played at, at least one, maybe more shows at, at, at this, this, this basement coffee shop that, that existed once a week, I believe, uh, in, in the basement of, of one of the girls' dorms. And this, was, this place was called Hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember being told by like the older older friends of mine who had been at the college longer that this was like it was it used to be called the, the Passion Pit, like not to be confused with the band from yeah. Buffalo or the the lead singer of that. Oh, of, he's from Buffalo. He's from Buffalo. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, what's his name again? Just so that we're like the guy the from Passion Pit. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, I have no idea what his name is. It's a Greek last name. Anyway, I, I really like that band for the record. Yeah, the, so the front man is from Buffalo. Anyway, not related at all to what I'm talking about. But Passion Pit, I guess I guess that was where people went to go make out. Unfortunately, not that wasn't really happening when I was there. And if, if it had, I don't know that I would know what to do with myself anyway. <laughs> I think I have a better idea now, but, but back then I certainly didn't. I'm feeling very confessional. This is very, like, I feel like spilling all. I think it's, yeah. I think it's you, Adam. I think I just sort of, like, I want, you know. I'll tell you all my secrets. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, so that's, I, I was sort of like loosely affiliated with Steve and, and, and that community, but, but Adam and I had never, at that time, never I don't know met. if we ever talked. We, I don't, we never communicated. We, I were, don't, fi- we were friends. We on, were friends. On, on MySpace. On my, wow. Yeah. Friends on MySpace. Never talked. And so really what? Almost 10 years went by? Like, like kind was, of a long time. It was probably close to a decade. For sure. So, so Adam and I sort of met for the first time, slash re, reacquainted ourselves uh, about two years ago, almost three years ago now, probably. Something like that. Maybe even before that, two, two to three years ago. Um, Adam, as those of you who probably know as listeners and or subscribers to this podcast, Adam books and, and, and runs the majority of the shows that... That that are uh, that are performed at the Vineyard Space in the city, and um, I think we probably started talking at one of those shows. Yeah. Um, because I live upstairs, so it's inevitable that I will come down at, at some point. Yeah. And I, I often would sort of stand in the doorway and sort of listen from behind the band. I really like that perspective. That's that, yeah. That's a. What would be really cool is that there was a there was a venue that I used to play shows at in Pennsylvania where there was like a like a green room for the bands like it didn't make any sense like this it was like a very tiny room and like it was like packed when there were twenty people in there but there was a green room for the bands um, and right behind where the band was playing there was a like one of those uh, reverse mirror not reverse mirrors what's that called. Like a mirror you can see through from the other side. Oh. A double mirror? Yeah, that's... Yeah, a double mirror. And so, like, you could be in the back, like, green room. Like, you're right behind where the band was playing. And if you had... But it wasn't really a mirror then. It was just a window. But it just looked like a mirror. Uh-huh. On the, or like, on the, the venue side. Oh, I got... It just just looked like So it sounds mirror. like this venue had been converted from a child's daycare center or a psychiatric... Uh, like uh, a psychology um, office, and so like this, like where the bands play is where the children or or the patients would be observed to see how they responded, like 
when they were by themselves or something. Like, I, so now that like that's what it sounds like. The yeah, way you're describing I don't. This. I don't think that's what it. Oh, was. that wasn't like, the case. I think oh. I think it was actually the owner. I think put put that in there so like bands can hang out in this little green room area yeah. and watch the other bands play, which is is kind of lame. Like it's it'd probably be cooler to actually be out participating and showing the bands you care. But well, but here's the thing though. Like I feel like this is maybe an issue that. Uh, if I start if I start to say this, I might we might get into like a totally different topic. But I feel like it is so nobody. I don't want to say nobody because I feel like shows here at the Vineyard Space are different in that way. However, you go to a show, say let's let's call it out for what it is. Show at the Bug Jar. Mm-hmm. There's an invisible wall that is ten feet thick, mm-hmm. but at least between the performers on the stage and the audience. And the audience will never break through that wall, typically. I mean, it depends on the kind of music and whether it's danceable or whatever. But, but even so, there's usually this invisible barrier that, where there's all this, this open space that people don't take advantage mm-hmm. of. And it's really disappointing to me to see like, people not get involved in shows. However, you come to a show at the Vineyard Space and it's very different. I mean, it is a smaller space, but even so, there, there's so much greater proximity. And yeah. I feel like... It's almost like the people who come to Vineyard shows have stock in the bands who play here. Yeah, everybody kind of knows everybody. It's a it's a pretty small, tight knit type of thing. There's just a personal level of there's a level of personal investment I think that I that I see in in artists, you know, and it, or in the audience. And I think, you know, when you're friends with with the musicians, that makes sense. However, like you know, the only you know, when I go to show the Bug Jar, it's typically because I have friends who play there. Yeah. And even so, you know, and other friends come, and they still, there's still that, there's still that, that wall there. Um, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's to be done about that, other than to sort of, on an individual basis, do your thing. Yeah. And, and, and if you can galvanize other people to sort of join you, then that's great. But, uh, you know. Yeah, so that that actually brings up it's a good transition into into kind of the the topic that I want to talk about. Well, you you interview and write about like music outside of this kind of independent um, DIY culture, um, but you have kind of roots within the DIY culture. So, um, <laughs> tell me about how you got into. I don't I don't know if you ever got into like you know what you would consider punk rock, but like. Whatever, like, however you got into, like, I know you, you, you have some ska bands that you like yeah, from back yeah, in the day, but, sure. uh, you know, how did you get in, in interested and mm-hmm. involved in kind of DIY culture? So, so, so to go back and sort of address everything, because there's sort of a, a, a few different things happening at once here, or at various times. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, so I grew up uh, in a... Christian home in, in a, uh, I would say, moderate to, to socially conservative mm-hmm. uh, home. And, and I, so the first music that I, the first sort of quote-unquote popular music that I started listening to was, was Christian music. I didn't start listening to secular music until I was 17 years old. I think the uh, first artist I started listening to was like Dave Matthews Band. That was like outside the realm. So, so I, that, I, I know, must confess that when I like it was a little earlier on for me. I, I mean, I have a similar background, 
But I, I, I like Dave Matthews too yeah. back then. Like There's now, something about the gateway and, of Dave Matthews band from like the the late '90s, early 2000s, even. But mainly before that. Yeah, There's something and, about the music that that yeah, it's sort of I don't know why. I don't, it's interesting that you and I both had that. Yeah. Because it's not a band that like we're necessarily proud to admit that we like. You yeah, know, no, I'm, it's I'm, not cool for either of us. To like Dave Matthews, yeah. Band. I mean, I I think he's written some really great songs, but I I'm not I don't consider myself to be a fan. But anyway, right? <laughs> it's sort of a, I mean, it's a it's kind of a relic of our past. But but yeah. but, but I but you know, yeah yeah sure. Like we're not like we're not active fans. <laughs> I don't follow his career. Um, but but you know, I've seen him live. A few times. I think that. Do you know what song is just? I actually don't think this was Dave Matthews Band, and this is totally. Uh, unrelated, and we'll get uh, back to what you're yeah, talking sure, about sure. in a minute. Uh, did you ever hear that song "Grave Digger" by him? That is, yes. Like that grave chorus, "Grave Digger." When you dig my grave, dig it shallow so that, so that I can feel the rain. I, uh, I love that. Think chorus. the Grave Digger was played by the band often, but it, I believe it was released on his solo record, yeah. "Some Devil." Right? Isn't that what it was called? I don't remember the name, but I, I just remember I'm really liking that song. Sh- I haven't heard it in a long time. Grave Digger, yeah. Won't you, dig my, won't you dig my grave, make it shallow so that I can feel the rain. Yeah. It's amazing the it's things dark. you remember, yeah. right? Yeah. No, I, I like, I lyrically, I mean, I, I remember for me, growing up in a, like, as a Christian and, and, and listening to Christian music, as I've sort of deviated away from that with regard to music, there's... Uh, uh, it's easy here. Uh, as I deviated away from 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 Christian music per se, I found myself increasingly attracted to music that referenced religion or Christianity specifically, but did so in sort of a fresh way, in a way that was kind of like irreverent to the institution but still earnest about seeking spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. So, with regard to Dave Matthews Band, the song "Bartender" was I fucking loved because it was like oh uh let's see like you know he's talking to bartenders like bartender like fill my glass for me with the wine you gave jesus that made him like raised from the grave after three days in the ground or something like that but something to that effect i'm paraphrasing slightly but like so that's sort of like the chorus and like and, and and it's it's actually a pretty emotional song, particularly live. I should really go back and listen to that because it would I would just get a kick out of it. But so so there, I mean, I I could point to numerous songs off the top of my head that that sort of that that do something kind of similar to that mm-hmm. in the way that they sort of they're like, look, it's kind of like the whole sort of dichotomy of look, like I'm down. I think what it comes down to, it's not always explicit in, the, in these songs, but like. I'm down with Jesus and what he stands for, but the fucking religion sucks. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. feel like, I mean, I don't really want to go into that right now because yeah. it's a whole other conversation. But, but, but I think that that's, I think that's there. So, so back to the sort of <laughs> buckle up uh, podcast fans. This is going to, this might take a few minutes. So there's the Christian music angle of it. Um, so I was listening to like, Christian rock music, and in particular, so my favorite band growing up, particularly in high school, was the Christian ska band Five Iron Frenzy. Um, Great band, yeah, yes, yeah, an excellent band. I'm I'm a little less interested in their recent comeback. I just don't. I just kind of 
you know, whatever. I mean, it's it's not the point. But like, so yeah, Five Iron Frenzy was a huge. But I listened to like group. I I, I remember listening to artists like Dogwood and like Slick Shoes and Plank Eye and and uh, and uh, oh, Common Children and and it's and I remember going to. There was a period of my life when. This is getting political suddenly, so warning. <laughs> uh, where I was really strongly pro-life, and, and there were personal family reasons for, mm. for, for me being raised that way and thinking that. So, but part of that was I would go to, like, Rock for Life shows. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of those bands, I don't know about those bands specifically, but bands from that scene were super involved in that. Yeah, so, so for those of you who don't know, Rock for Life was a, still is, I would think, a pro-life organization... That that used rock and hardcore concerts as a tool to spread the message, and they would get bands to align themselves with this pro-life agenda. Yeah. I don't mean that derogatorily. I'm just saying it. It is what it is. It was a, it, yeah. it was a, the concerted effort to promote this perspective of being pro-life and, and being a Christian. What that meant, and so so I was so at that time as a teenager, you know. If I was listening to heavier stuff, that's what I was listening to. Uh, for for me, the sort of the, the underground sort of DIY scene didn't happen for me until I started going to college here in Rochester. Um, this was in the like mid early two thousands, mid two thousands, and there was a particular concert that I went to at a now defunct venue called the AV Space, which was located in a loft uh, in the public market. So where like. The yards is now mm-hmm. very very similar to that space in a in a certain way, but a few doors down. And anyway, three um, doors down, three three doors down, if you will. We have now referenced Dave Matthews uh, Band and Three Doors Down in this podcast. Uh, we're just we are just <laughs> one small step away from the worst mentioning the worst band ever in the history of 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 mankind. Uh, but I won't do it here. All right. Unless you want to. No. And can... I think you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, I mean, I, it's not there's important. A, there's a couple I'm thinking of, but I don't know which Well, you're definitely thinking of one of them. Yeah. So that's all that matters. We'll we... leave it at that. I think I think you all know. <laughs> um, I hope that you are choosing your friends accordingly. If they like this band, don't be friends with them. You should just disavow yourself of them uh, right away. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Sort of. Uh, so... So this concert I went to at the AV space. Uh, there was a Buffalo punk band, Lemuria, Lemuria, uh, and also the, a, a local Rochester noise band called Gaybot. And who was in Gaybot? Brian Blatt was okay. in Gaybot. Um, there were other people too, but he was like the only one I knew okay. really. Um, yeah, I knew who he was, but I didn't. I didn't know if anybody the, else I I know was. And Gaybot was like a performance art noise rock band, just. Mm-hmm. You never knew what they were going to do. I mean, I've seen them. Wear, I've seen Brian like wear like a tutu and a gas mask on stage and just like rock it out, and it's really interesting. And and then there was this freak folk band called Doofus. I think at the time was handling for Mythica, um, but uh, now uh, has since uh, called it quits. But um, the frontman Seth Fergolzia is a uh, Rochester um, citizen <laughs> and community member, and and has a band called the Twenty Three Sages, which I would later join. 
Um, so this concert really sort of opened my eyes in terms of, wow, this is the kind of community I want to be mm-hmm. a part of. This is the kind of scene I want to be a part of. It was so authentic and immediate and real and, and fun and, like, artsy, but, like, totally, like, irreverent and, 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 uh, and unexpected and, and just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, like, it, you know... I'm there's there I'm kind of a weird guy in in some ways and so so uh, I was able to embrace that and it just, just sort of I was always interested in sort of hearing new things and like I don't know I it, it just really was a game changer for me so so I think from then on I was sort of aware of of concerts like that particularly here in Rochester and then when I later moved back um, to the area after several years absence. Um, I sort of plugged right back in. I was starting to play with the 23 Sages, Seth's band, and so um, we would frequently play house shows at the Meddlesome Lab. And so at Meddlesome, it's a great venue because you can always hear new acts that you never would have come across, mm-hmm. and some of them are just phenomenally talented. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I so there's that side of me too, but, but the other part is that... Um, I, a lot of the music I cover is classical music or opera or stuff that's that's usually presented in a much more formal setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, so that's also sort of a part of me too, and I've, that's always been there since my early childhood. Um, so all these things were sort of happening, and uh, in, in kind of bring me to sort of where I am now, where I'm I'm sort of I'm interested in all of it, and uh, it's all good. It's all great for different reasons, and. Um, so 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 that's sort of, in a nutshell, in a unorganized nutshell, the sort of background of 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 where these different sort of influences and and inspirations kind of converge. Although I I don't know, a very interesting guy. I I think I try to be. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad some people think so. I just you know <laughs> I, I feel like there's you don't meet a lot of people that have the type of diverse uh interests i mean it's all i guess it's all kind of falls under the you know this umbrella of of the arts but um within that um you seem to have a deep appreciation for a very wide um it's just very wide perspective sure i mean it's, it's really just a matter of exposure more than anything you know like if you're if you are aware of it and you're around it, I think you're going to take some of it in. And so, um, you know, I think in certain communities, someone who has sort of the cosmopolitan, I don't think that's really the word I want to use, but varied musical tastes or whatever, you know, they might be more rare in some communities. And then you go to, like, a city like New York, and in particular scenes where everybody has the sort of these sort of dual experiences or, like, everybody, like, I mean... You know, when I was living in New York for a little under a year, you know, and, and covering the, the kind of music I was covering down there, I, the, I mean, the, everybody sort of like, everybody is classically trained. Everybody mm-hmm. like would go to, you know, was familiar with that scene. Those same people also grew up playing in heavy metal bands. Like, mm-hmm. like, so, so it's, 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 it, it just depends. It's not as, <laughs> I don't know that it's as uncommon as we think it is, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of like, um, but, but, but 
it is and it isn't, right? It just sort of depends on environment and opportunity. And, and uh, unfortunately, it also depends on privilege, you know? Like, yeah. I was blessed with, with growing up in a home that, despite its sort of conservative trappings, was open with regard to the arts and, and really valued music and, and, and the arts. And, and so uh, I, I think that, that, was, that was what sort of made it all, like, so accessible to me. And uh, not everybody has that opportunity, so, so I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's certainly a factor. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, you just sort of are who you are, and you like what you like, and you do what you do. And um, there's really... I don't know. I don't know that there's really like an explanation for it other than like this is how it happened and Yeah. Cool. There you are. I don't, I don't know. So you you were talking a little bit about the opera that you well, I don't know if you mentioned specifically the opera. I mean, you mentioned that you've, you've written for an opera. Yes. Um and that was performed or at least some of it was performed Correct. um can you tell me about how all that i'm i'm just not even asking as much for the podcast as much as i want to hear the story myself <laughs> um about like how that happened how you ended up writing an opera sure and it getting performed yeah. and all of that i'm super curious about that because you are literally probably the only person in my circle of friends right. who has anything like this happened in their life. Yeah, sure. So, so okay. Uh, so, let's see. It's 2015. <laughs> I would say probably in 2010, I had gotten out of grad school for arts journalism, and I was back home. And I remember listening to uh, this opera by a 20th century composer uh, by the name of Leos Janáček, and it was called The Cunning Little Vixen. And it was actually sort of based, this kind of folk story based on, like, a, a comic strip from his day mm-hmm. about this, like, fox who's, like, this this vixen, this female fox who's, like, going on these adventures and getting into trouble and all this stuff. So he turned it into an opera, and I really liked the idea of, like, I don't know, for some reason, a fox in opera, like, fox in opera, like, really interested me. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I think I started thinking about my own sort of story and a kind of story that I wanted to tell... And so I just sort of started developing the story on my own. In college, I had, I had amassed several different sort of scenarios and synopses and sort of like snippets of ideas for operas. And they were all very, some of them were sort of much more like uh, unoriginal and, and sort of like crafted after sort of classic mm-hmm. operatic stories like La Boheme and stuff. Um, but but so, so I, I had done that for a few years, and so this was sort of a natural progression to sort of really hash something out. And so I started writing this story, um, essentially this, this love triangle, um, which ended up being about a gender-fluid individual, a transgender individual, Nate, who has to sort of decide how to reconcile their most recent relationship in the very, very recent past with, with um, a devoted, sort of perhaps naive and ide- idealistic partner named Meg and take that relationship and re- reconcile with the sort of new burgeoning relationship that's happening with this um, other character who appears in a fox mask. Mm-hmm. And this character is named Errol and Errol seduces Nate and uh, leads them into the woods. And, and, and so... Um, 
they're, they're sort of like trying to sort of figure out whether to go back to Nate or to, to, to continue with Errol or to sort of some combination or something, you know. Um, and so that was a compelling story to me, I think, ultimately by itself, but it was also sort of a wave. For me, each of these characters symbolized a different perspective that I had on love and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it was me trying to sort of figure out what I actually thought okay. and what my perspective was. And in the end, I don't, I don't know that I actually came up with a definitive answer, really. But um, so, so I, I had this story called "The Fox and the Pomegranate," um, and I had contacted a singer I knew in New York, uh, who I met through interviewing for uh, an article, mm-hmm. and I asked her if she knew of anybody who was looking to collaborate with a librettist on, on okay. an opera, if she knew of a composer. And I guess at the same time, there was a composer in Brooklyn named Matt Fry who was sort of asking this person, Melissa Hughes, um, a similar question. And so Melissa sort of essentially kind of set Matt and I up on this creative blind date. Uh, It wasn't a literal date, (laughs) but like (laughs) there wasn't a particular instance. But like we started corresponding over, over the internet and and uh, working on stuff. And was it, was this was in 2000 as well. It was not. No, this was post MySpace era. And uh, 2011, this was in the summer of 2011. And so here we are four years later. And, and I, so we've been, we've been developing this for, for years, and it's been a long, painstaking process. It isn't nearly over. Um, the opera's only half finished. The first act, the part that's done, uh, was staged at SUNY Potsdam last November as part of this opera competition that that, that we uh, were selected for as, as one of the three winners. Um, so we did that, and it was a really rewarding experience. Um, and you can find the opera on YouTube. Uh, you can... You can if you were so inclined, I think if you search the fox and the pomegranate, you would find it. Um, so anyway, it's out there. And, um, I mean, that's sort of the nutshell of, like, how, how do, I don't know that it explains really how it happened or, like, how you write an opera. Yeah. I don't think it begins to really address that. <laughs> but, like, but so, the, so that's sort of how it kind of, that, that's sort of the, the basic evolution of, of, of the work. Awesome. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, um, tell me about music for left hand. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> what, what is that exactly? Cause mm-hmm. I know I've, I've seen that on, on uh, Facebook events and I, I've seen you play a few times in the last year or so. Yeah. So tell um, me about that project. Music for left hand shows up every so often. It's a really sporadic solo project that I have. Um, really a sort of continuation of what I started doing when I was in college. Back then I was calling myself Dan Cush. <laughs> <laughs> I almost inexplicably now that I think inexplicably, but it's just a I feel like the name doesn't fit the style of music, you know. Like I here like here I am, a songwriter who was very influenced by like Ben Folds and just sort of like earnest mm. like Ernest, like the Ernest movies. Yes, the Ernest movies. I was very influenced <laughs> by those. It really shows up in my work. Uh, but but just really sort of sincere Ernest, sort of like indie pop balladry, I guess. Sort of. So so music for left hand was just sort of like what I started calling 
myself when I performed solo here in Rochester within the past few years. So um, I would just do these short sets of like 20 to 30 minutes, and it would be a combination of uh, original tunes and covers and just stuff I wanted to do. And they were typically, these shows were typically, um, you know, they were they were prepared with varying degrees of 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 uh attention to detail and and hard work and and sometimes lack thereof and so um i, I find as a solo performer i'm not always as motivated as i think mm-hmm. i would like to be and it's 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 hard uh i i i'm much more interested in playing in in a, in a group of people um i 100% relate to that. Yeah. Like, so, I'll, I'll write things by myself and then do nothing with them, but if I've got a band that I'm playing with, it's then I can push myself to do stuff. Yeah, but. it's so much easier and just, like, um, it's so much more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, 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 For me, it's all about responding to what other people are doing and having other people respond to what you're doing. I, that, that's way more interesting than sort of just replaying what you think about whatever it is over and over again. And that's kind of what being a solo artist is to a certain extent. And so, um, so yeah, so Music for Left Hand is something I trot out every once in a while when I've, when I've been playing. <laughs> um, but, so, so, but, I ha- but I haven't been doing much of that lately. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it's just a sort of fun thing I essentially do for myself, and there's very little... Uh, you can't really. There's there's not much of a sort of online uh, footprint for it. Gotcha. So you haven't recorded anything or put up a band camp or anything like that. No, no. I've never been so motivated to do that. I I, I don't think. I think that I would really want to sort of like hone in on what it is that I was really trying to do. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it was just a sort of way to sort of like play live and perform songs and 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 enjoy doing that. And it really didn't. It really doesn't go. It hasn't gone much further than that in my mind. Um, there's a, I, I think I sort of tend to get distracted by a variety of different projects. So like, there's this opera, which is an ongoing thing. But I'm also sort of in the process of preparing a um, a small collection of poetry that that will have some visual accompaniment uh, to it that I did not I did not draw, but uh, an artist friend of mine uh, did. And so that that should be coming out, I think, probably in the spring of next year. Cool. Uh, I was going to release it this year, and it, it just sort of uh, it didn't it it, no, it it no longer sort of felt like the right time, especially during the holidays. Where mm-hmm. we are in December, and nobody wants to like nobody has the the time, the resources, the money. Like nobody, nobody. Ha- we're, we're, Everybody's just too busy. It's hard know? to do. Yeah, nobody wants to do anything. Is uh, well, you don't want to shell than... out money for like something that isn't present for your family. Yeah. Like you know what I mean. Like, like people like, like December is the worst time to sort of launch a Kickstarter campaign for like a CD or something. Yeah, and I know this because I was involved in a project where that was done, and it was hard. It yeah. was a really difficult time to do it, but really one of the worst. So 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 like. You know, I think it's a good time to release music, though. Why? Why do you? Why do you think that? I don't know. Like, especially if it's like real good, and like when people are like making their like, I put it out right when people are making their best of lists of the year. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right about that. I think people are receptive. People are like waiting or listening for new music. They're like trying to catch up on what they missed. I know. I I definitely do. Sure. And so. 
you know. I think you're right about that. You put something out. You put something out like first week, first couple of weeks of December, um, or you know, late November. If yeah, you yeah, yeah. Then it's then it's like you know, real fresh in everybody's minds when they're making that list. <laughs> um, not that the not that anybody. That was list. what was holding me back, holding me back, Adam. I didn't <laughs> release the the music for Left Handy P in December <laughs> like I should have, and if only. It is interesting for me. I don't. I don't know. I'm, I've have such an interesting, weird relationship with music, though. I feel like I I get caught up in late November and December of all the like the stuff that I didn't pay attention to throughout the year, and then you know I make a list which nobody really cares about other than myself and maybe a couple friends will like it on Facebook. Um, but I do find myself I go back to listen to like those end up being the albums that I listen to the most in the coming year. So, I don't know. Feel so me, think about it for next year. There you go. I, I feel like year-end lists are, where, are the, the opportunity that I have to feel guilty about all the music I didn't listen to. Like, like you know, like, you go to, like, NPR's site and you look at, like, All Songs Considered. And, I mean, you know, it, it's extensive. Like, there's just so much mm-hmm. music being released. And um, it's exciting. It's great. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, you, you, you don't want <laughs> you can, to, you can get a little uh, intimidated or frazzled or whatever, like thinking about all the music that you don't know or yeah, that you don't have a, any sort of handle on, you know. It's, um, it's unbelievable the amount of stuff out there now. Yeah, for as many people as there are, I mean, you know, just like, you know, it wouldn't have it any other way, but, but um, you know, it's, it's its own sort of daunting challenge. Yeah, I was I was talking to a, a friend that's fairly younger than than we are um, the other day, and I was thinking about, and we were talking, and I was like, you know, it's he grew up in a totally different uh, like culture as far as music availability, because um, I know like you're a couple years older than I am, so for me, and where I grew up was in the middle of nowhere, so I was even probably even more isolated than what you were. Um, mm anything you could get your hands on because there wasn't internet so it was like yeah whatever how I could... did we hear about music back then <laughs> i don't even know anymore like i think we were like it was like reading magazines and shit yeah like like i think like, I think, for, like for real i, I just whatever your know. friends like got or television or something you know but i think even back then maybe television represented the music you know that put out the music like put the music out there that we were interested in. like I don't I don't know what it was but somehow it got to us I mean yeah it's really crazy to think about how music was distributed before yeah. the internet well even even it like, feels like the dark ages to me in a yeah way. well even like some of the the all those like Christian punk bands that you mentioned earlier on like I yeah. grew up with those bands too I mean I you know some of those bands I still love I love Dogwood it makes me really sad that I'll never get to because they I don't think they ever even toured the east coast they probably didn't. Um, they were a California band, right? Yeah, and yeah. like I love, I love like I've got a slick shoes patch on my backpack right now. Yeah, in slick 2015. shoes. Do you remember the Huntingtons? They were like a direct ripoff of, of, of like the Ramones. Actually, I actually uh, Mikey Huntington was on a podcast, another podcast that I listen to oh, sometimes really? um, called "As the Story Grows," um, and he was on. I think the epi- the episode must have came out within the last couple of days. Interesting. And so it's like the current episode. Um, and wow. I actually listened to that today, which was really interesting. That guy, that guy, like, um, he's got like a government job. 
Oh, that's so disappointing. It's so weird. But yeah. you know what? It's, he he yeah, works it's for so typical. Like, like the the singer from the Huntingtons works for the Department of Defense, which is so strange to me. Um, it's it's pretty absurd. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, what was that? What was the point I was trying to make? Oh, just that like thinking it's crazy that like in that day and age that we found out about those bands. Yeah, that we even um, knew. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, a lot of that's probably because of. I don't know, for me, HM Magazine was a big deal when I was a kid. Right. I was reading the softer stuff. <laughs> Literally, HM stands for hard music. Yeah. Right? And, like, so it's so sort of a pun there, or maybe not, but, like, I was reading, like, fucking, like, release and shit. Okay. I remember, know, like, and there was CCM Magazine, CCM, too, as far as, like... Which the... is not the hockey equipment distributor. <laughs> it's contemporary Christian music. Yeah, it which I don't magazine. think I don't think either of those magazines exist anymore. Do you remember Seven Ball magazine? I, I do actually. That was great. I really cool liked stuff. Seven Ball. Um, yeah. That's I mean I found out about stuff through Seven Ball. Okay. Um I'm trying to think of like Christian rock bands that I used to like. Skillet was was kind of Yeah, they got big. real real mainstream. <laughs> Yeah, and also really sort of like electronic. Uninteresting, yeah. I, yeah they're I, early, they're early, their first album was really good, right? It's kind of raw. It's been like, so long since I've heard it, I can't, I can't yeah, like, I don't know say what really whether it was good, good is or anymore. Not. Like, I'm thinking about all this through the spectrum of like me when I was like 15. Yeah, because like, I, I liked it, but then I, was, I heard that, um, what was the name of the band? I, I, I listened to so many podcasts where they've interviewed people from like... Like that weird, like '90s, like punk and alternative scene, and um, the dude from uh, what's that band called? Scattered Few, like an old, old Christian punk band. The dude from that band later on was in like kind of like this like dark, like I don't know, like kind of goth, like I can't remember the name of the band. Um, but he was in a band that was like that, and he, like I guess they ended up torn like. They ended up touring with Skillet, and on this podcast, that guy pretty much said that the guy from Skillet just, like, totally ripped off his style of dress and style of music, and, uh, like, that's where he got it, that's was from Skillet that guy. Came yeah. From, yeah. Like, where it changed. Well, Skillet was super got... grungy when they started. Like, yeah. They were like, they were like a grunge rock band or something. But that's the thing about so much of the Christian music out there, not, and not that there aren't good Christian artists out there, but it seemed like the whole point of it was, like... Starting from the standpoint of unoriginality, because what they were doing was trying to sort of create the alternative to whatever the secular yeah. thing is that they were most like. So, like, you know, like for example, Third Day was a Hootie and the Blowfish like ripoff, and like uh, I don't know, Pod was a ripoff of like fucking uh, um, you know. Morello's band, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, right. Like, there was a lot of I, I don't know. Like I feel like Pod kind of did a good job of like there was a lot of diversity in their sound, at least in their like maybe mid period records. They were pretty deep. Yeah, it sounds like, like they I, were I bad. actually yeah I I I, I, I kind of like Pod. I still have Pod on my on my uh, iTunes. So, sure. Like they're not my favorite band by any means, but I feel I feel like we have to mention like so so Adam the. T- Adam's taste and my taste differ in a lot of ways, but there's one man in particular that we totally agree on uh, that, that we would be really wrong if we didn't mention. Well, we already talked about Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> Not Dave Matthews' band, uh, uh, funny enough. Um, so, so I don't, I don't know how we... I don't know. Adam and I are really both 
pretty big me without you fans. We sure are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're like the, not that you're the only one who's heard of them, but like you're sort of the one I can sort of turn to to talk about. Yeah. I, among, there, another one of my really good friends is a huge fan too, but in terms of like in the community that we're both in, yeah. you, you're the only one that really sort of gets it. I think. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to be you know, less than three hours away from Philly throughout most of my, yeah. you know, uh, late teens and early twenties. What is it about that band that's so good? Like, what, like, why do we? Why do you think? Like, what is their thing that works so well? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. I think a lot of it has to do with with Aaron Weiss and his his um, writing. His and, yeah, uh, I mean, he's 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 arguably the best lyricist I've ever seen I, I I mean I honestly I would put him I mean for me in terms of like lyricist musicians that I like listen to right now that are active like yeah I think he's right up there with like Joanna Newsom and a Leonard Cohen even to a certain extent like, like totally different style and aesthetic yeah. but 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 just in terms of the mastery of the language and like the use of story, I, I, he's just really and really intelligent and like deep. Uh, yeah, it's really really remarkable stuff. And I think I, I don't know. I think that the rest of the guys in that band do such a great job of like putting music to what the the emotions that he's expressing in his lyrics. Um. So yeah, there's just there's. Definitely something special about that band, and I, I almost, to be honest, I didn't love Ten Stories. Um, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Uh, I, and then this new record is the more I listen to it, the more I, I love it. It's. I really it's, need I, to listen to it more. I haven't listened to it much. From what I understand, it seems like it's sort of like an amalgamation of all the different styles they've sort of been through. It's sort of like yeah. it kind of not splits a difference, but it kind of covers like the sort of the the the. A little bit of the m- more melodic, folksy stuff that they did on uh, "Everything Is False." Everything, yeah, is, uh, it's all crazy. It's all false. It's, it's all, all crazy. Dream. It's all false. It's all yeah. dream, and like the edgier stuff from like uh, "Catch for Us the Foxes" and and um, even to a lesser extent, like "Brother Sister." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, ten stories. I don't know that it really resonates with me so much either, but I think the first time I saw Me Without You perform was I saw them at CBGB, like the club, oh, like the, so the, cool. the original club, like CBGB. It had to have been like within a year or two of me seeing them, they, that club must have shut down. Because mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it was in probably 2006. Okay. Uh, when did it shut down? Like. 2007, probably 2006. I must have seen it in like 2005 or 2007 or 08. Yeah, I don't know. Within three years, um, but but so so I saw me without you play there with Blindside, another Christian band. They're actually really good, really good hard rock band. Fantastic. Yeah, really tight. Like, yeah. um, So so something there, and I also saw Bradley Hathaway was opening for them. (laughs) This is this Christian slam poet who then would later do folk music and had a show booked here at the Vineyard Space for, yeah, he, for a bit. And he had, had to cancel, cancel his tour. 
unfortunately. To pursue a, a career in botany or something or whatever. He was teaching was somewhere. Somewhere in, like, North Dakota or South Dakota. Very interesting. Yeah, so so I saw, me without you, I mean, just such a, a magnetic live performance. I mean, like, um, Aaron Weiss is just so... Uh, you're just immediately sort of, like, drawn... Yeah, whatever he's, he's doing really interesting his style his his physical style is like aggressive but like a little a little uh not like totally non-gender specific <laughs> like i don't want to say effeminate because that sound that makes it sound uh, that sounds like a mischaracterization but like um yeah, I just loved the way he was just sort of so fucking vulnerable. He's like so free on stage. Yeah. Um, in a way that I, I, I know I modeled I myself imagine, after that. I, I mean, I aspire to that sort of being that like f- just feeling that comfortable and free with myself in that in that situation. And I also liked it because like when he was on stage singing, like you feel like you were watching him like work through some shit. Like like, yeah. like the way he would like you, you know so. Me without you, like they they like yell often, the, like especially the earlier stuff. There's like yelling poetry over the top of the music. It wasn't even necessarily singing most of the time, and but like the way he would do that is just like he was like exercising demons or like. But I just love how like physically like you would see he'd like. I feel like you know like he do he'd like hit himself in the head or like you know what I mean. He'd like do he'd have these gestures where he like look like he was like. Simultaneously in torment and sort of completely free. Yeah, it was just really weird. This is just making me want to see them again. It's been, I know. It's been no, a no, while. no, no. They're they're right up there with the best. They're the they're tied for the best live band I've ever seen. And the other band that, that's tied with them is totally different. So it's not even a matter of like, like them and Cigarettes to me are the best mm-hmm. live experiences that I've had in terms of like band, like a band that I've yeah. ever that I've ever had. Just in terms of the whole. The whole thing, and and Rick Mazzotta is that he's the drummer, um, something like that. I don't know if that you're pronouncing it right because I don't know, but that's I don't know. Anyway, he's like a human Tasmanian devil. Yeah, on the drum, like a really good drummer, super energetic. Uh, like, and it, their sound is just so textured and and, and multifaceted and layered. And they're all and nice guys. Yeah. Have you, have you met them? Yeah. Yeah. They're... Unfortunately, because I was really awkward. Like, if, <laughs> you know, it was like, I mean, not that they would remember me, but, but yes, I, I've met, I met, I met Aaron and, and Mike and yeah. Mike was really nice. Like I, I met Mike not at, like at a show that wasn't a me without you oh, cool. show. Yeah. It was, and I had met all the other guys cause I'd seen them a whole bunch of times. Like I said, I was only yeah, like in Pennsylvania. A, yeah. yeah. I wasn't that far from Philly. So I, I, had the the fortune of seeing them fairly often, um, and I just I just never like it was always like different guys at different places and never like all together as a sure. group. Um, and then I went to see Brand New uh, at the Electric Factory in in Philly, and Mike was there. And I said to my friend I was there with, I'm like, I'm I'm kind of being a creeper right now. I'm watching Mike from Me Without You walk around. I'm like, they're my favorite band. <laughs> I've met everybody else. So I kind of awkwardly was like, hey, and shook his hand. And he was there with his wife, and she was very pregnant. And they were, <laughs> which 
that doesn't add anything to the story. But they were it just kind of does actually. I, it's it's sort of to me thinking of like, like you're like. You bring your pregnant wife to a brand new concert is kind of, well, kind of odd, right? I feel like they're probably... I mean, they had toured with brand new, so they were probably, you know... They, Just like seeing They friends, were probably really. guest listed. Oh, yeah, totally. But it is sort of odd for a pregnant woman to sort of be at a Yeah, I mean, it was also, too, like, they were up... Uh, there's, there's like a... there's I don't like know, a judgmental, but... There's a balcony. Okay. So, so they were up on the balcony, so they weren't... She wasn't, like, down in the pit or anything weird like that, so... <laughs> they're up on the balcony, and he was getting a beer at the at the bar, and... So... She wasn't crowd surfing with the, like, yeah. stomach first? And she wasn't... She wasn't... She didn't get a beer at the bar, it was just him. I like that you good. know that. I like that you were watching them intently enough <laughs> that you, like, made sure... Yeah, I saw him from a distance, she was doing the yeah. right thing. That's, that's the dedication right there. <laughs> but I totally... Sympathize, like, yeah, I don't know. They, yeah, they're they're just they're just great. Do you think? So. Well, I think maybe another part of their appeal, and especially to people like us, mm-hmm. um, who I think maybe be, like grew up in church, but are also fascinated by kind of dark things within within art and music. Um, there's kind of a lot of, especially in the, some of those early songs, they really like talked a lot about spirituality and also, you know, talked about some dark shit um, simultaneously. So I think that, that like, I know I'm definitely, like, I'm very drawn to that type of, that type of art as well. Well, particularly for music, like, associated with Christian artists, I think that there's a certain level of honesty there, right? Like, there's a line about, like, not, ha- I don't remember which song, I think it's on the Catch First of Fox, but, um, about like not having thought about killing himself in a while, yeah, and like he you know admits like lusting after people, and like he's very he's very sort of quick to identify his own faults, yeah, and honestly, I mean that sounds like it sounds really kind of like almost goody two shoes, like sort of mention it, but for a band that was sort of identified as a Christian band. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how fair that is because there there's so much more than that and spiritually they're broader than that too. Yeah. There's a huge Sufi element to what they do and you know some of the some certain songs they speaking in Arabic and yeah. like so so it's 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 much broader than that. But but for a band that was identified as Christian and and for good reason I mean the, the lyrics are there's a lot to do with Christ and, and that example and, and biblical stories and the Judeo-Christian uh, heritage. Um, but, you know, that was kind of a big deal to be talking about that kind yeah. of stuff. Because Christian bands don't do that. It's very, it's much more superficial, typically, I yeah. think. Well, that's I love how the culturally, I think, things have shifted as to where now, um, unless it's like straight up like worship music for in-church, like there's not a, like I guess it's still there. Maybe I'm just not aware of it. Uh, but I feel like now it's more common for people to just make music and put it out there and and more like so. let let you know their faith impacts it. But they're not using they're not using <laughs> Jesus as a as a marketing tool. Right. Do you uh, think the availability though of, of of music and like how it's distributed and like. The fact that, you know, people just put out their own thing and, like, you can find it on the internet. The fact that they're not necessarily beholden to Christian labels, maybe. Do you think that might be a factor? I feel like that must be. Yeah, it must be. And also, like, because, I mean, I think there was kind of, like, within that 
weird Christian bubble culture that we both were around when mm-hmm. we were younger. Um, you knew you could walk into a Christian bookstore and anything that's in there, um, you know, is is Christian music. It's approved. Um, and so there's that stamp of approval. And now there really isn't anything that's equivalent to that. So everything is totally, you know, it just is what it is. And people have to, like, like normal people just decide what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. There, there was a Christian bookstore called Bender's that I always used to go to for, like, online music and stuff. Now I'm thinking about it, I really wish it was, like, it lived up to its name. I wish it was just a bunch <laughs> of, like, 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 gender ambiguous people running the store, and they called it Bender's. Like, or even just, like, like, really drunk employees, you know? Like, that might, might have been more interesting. Um, but you know, you could get your, you could get the latest DC talk record and buy that precious, that precious moments figurine for yeah. your mom. And testaments. You know? That testaments. was, that was the thing. They were like mints with, uh, <laughs> with like Bible <laughs> verses on them. Oh man, the shit that like, there, there should be a museum like dedicated to like, Christian culture. I, I have a friend who owns a t-shirt. It could be t-shirt. like outside the Liberty University or something. <laughs> I have a friend who has a t-shirt that has, that has like the Mountain Dew logo on it that says, Do the Jew. What? It says, Do the Jew, and it has some Bible verse about Do Jesus. Do the on. Jew? Yeah, it's a real thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. No, that's crazy. Do the Jew. It's it's so it's such that a was weird. At a, like he bought that. At like yeah, a he bought it like a com- like like a conference. The fact that somebody like produced that T-shirt and thought nailed it. Do the Jew. That doesn't have any sort of weird sexual blatant connotation to well, it. I I like to all. think that somebody like thought of it and they were like, I wonder if we can get this past every fun. <laughs> I know. Like And yes, you could. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean It's funny because I wasn't like necessarily going to like bring up like I mean obviously it's gonna come up as I talk about my story and talk about like my interaction with music. Um uh-huh. you know it's gonna come up. But I wasn't like necessarily trying for this to be like a, a podcast that touches on about religion. On all, yeah. Um, yeah, but no, it's also, it's, it's obviously going to come up and I think there's interesting conversations to be had and I think, sure. I mean, obvi- I'm, you know, I'm, you know, still consider myself a Christian and I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus, but I, I don't have any, I don't have any time for that type of stupid ass religiosity uh-huh. and, sure. right. and right, that right, right, right. weird, uh, cultural bubble at all. So I feel the same way and yet I don't consider myself a Christian anymore but 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 that's sort of i mean you know i i mean not to get into it too much i mean but if you were to like ask me and go into depth it's a little more complicated than that mm-hmm. um but it just has to do with with figuring out to me what was essential to to spiritual belief and what was not and the majority of if not all of really what like an organized church and organized institution is about it just all feels so unnecessary at best to me most of the time so but but um but anyway uh 
I mean, but that that's always going to be a part of me, and, and the music that I listened to when I was really totally uh, into the whole Christianity thing. I mean, that's still that's always going to be a part of me, and and you know, yeah, I would be. I'm really always ex- going to remember the lyrics to 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 the to the chorus from Breakfast by Newsboys. <laughs> like if, you know, that stuff. If doesn't DC go Talk away. got back together and and did a reunion tour and yeah. came anywhere near here. Yeah, I I would totally go. I don't know that I would. I mean, I feel like it would be like a we- I feel like I would have to go and then like have to it would do be something. So weird. Oh, it would be super weird. I'd have so many mixed feelings about it. But at the same time, I feel like there's a part of me that would just geek out and sing along to every I, song. I totally agree. Um, Even if I didn't agree with it anymore, I mean, not that like the lyrics were like those lyrics were like. I think they're like with. I don't know. I'm trying to think like. DC Talk was mostly just had some. It was just kind of about just feel good stuff. It was like not feel. Well, they had that one. They more had poppy. that one song about abstinence that was yeah. on, on free at last. It was like I don't. I don't want it. I don't want, want it. Want it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until we take the vow. Yeah, really cheesy shit. Which I actually, I, I, I bring that, I, I've referenced that song in, in conversation with <laughs> well, friends. Well, you and I have, like, shown people, like, old DC Talk videos, Yeah, because right? I, I, I mean, Like, most, together, you I and I have like, been, like, showing people. Yeah, like, most of, they don't understand most of our how... friends that, even those who are, um, you know, involved with, with the church that I'm involved in, or... Um, you know, even those who are believers, a lot of them did not grow up in that culture, so they don't. It's even it's so goofy to them. But it's so comforting to know that someone else did, <laughs> and to like be able to have these like cultural signifiers that are kind of obscure, but like immediately like identifiable. Like it's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, hey, I think we've got a, a good uh, over an hour's worth of conversation. Oh yeah, well over. You uh, don't want to. You don't want to. Overwhelm the people with, with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm best in small doses. Um. So, uh, I guess I'll play a, a really old song for you. Um, that I wrote when I was in college, called "You Are the Poison." <laughs> Let's see. Wow, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. 